Hey everyone, welcome to Know Your Gear Live number 112. It's Friday. Feels like it was just here yesterday. It was last Friday. So hopefully you guys are ready for a good weekend. We have a lot of people already hanging out and talking. I got some questions already queued up and uh, got some stuff to talk about today too. Good. I like it when I have some subjects to cover plus some great questions. First, while people are coming on uh, to the live uh, show, I thought I would mention real quick that uh, there's a new article on the Know Your Gear website. Matt Blades uh, just released it today, and it's a pretty in-depth one. This one is on the Gear Trends page, and it's uh, some interviews, and uh, it looks really good. I haven't had a chance to read it because I just got the update uh, about an hour ago that it's on the website now. And uh, so those of you that were interested in that, I'll give you a little screenshot real quick so you can see it. Uh, those of you guys who are interested in reading those articles that we provide for you guys, you can check it out. It's always cool to check them out when you're uh, sitting somewhere. Maybe you just want a quick read and um, you can go right to the knowyourgear.net and uh, check it out. Okay. And thank you for Matt for writing those articles. Um, man, they're, they're great. And I really appreciate it. Adding some value to the website for everyone. On that note, let's talk about the first thing. Uh Ranton, I'm going to say Ranton, says, hey, I like the new shirt design. That's true. If you guys caught the five things you may not know about the Jazzmaster guitar this week, you'll see that there's a new shirt. Uh, the new shirt is a different logo, and the whole concept behind that was uh, some people had mentioned uh, to my wife that not everyone wants the Know Your Gear logo that you see me sporting all the time. I'm not wearing that one on today. We're actually wearing the neon sign one. Uh, the neon sign one was, again, something to add different. This is a new logo, and I put a link already, uh, anticipating that we might be talking about it, or I'd have to mention it later. It was on my list. But rant, Ranton, you just, uh, Ranton, I'm sure I'm saying Ranton, Ranton. Uh, anyways, it's uh, in the LinkedIn if you want to check out the shirt. It's actually less money. That was another thing, too. It's like $2 cheaper, and it's something different. It's not limited. It's not replacing anything. Uh, how often we run it, I have no idea. You know, uh, merch helps support the channel. That's why every channel on YouTube talks about merch. We just put it out there. I appreciate anyone who supports and uh, what I do and 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 this and this channel. So thank you. Okay. So what else? Ranton. Ah, it says Ranton. See, it says R A T O N. Ranton. But I think Ranton makes more sense. So I'll go by Ranton. Or am I saying it wrong with an N? Ranton. R-A-T-A-O-N. R-A-T-O-N. Ranton. Ranton? I don't know. If I'm saying it wrong, I'm sorry. Uh, let's see. The next question, there was... Actually, there's a couple things. Hold on. A couple pen things real fast. Uh, when the show starts, I try to pen a few things really fast. I saw that. Hold on. Guitar guy says I'm 13 tomorrow. And uh, can I get a happy birthday? Happy birthday, 13. That's uh, your first year as a teenager. Uh, enjoy it. My daughter is 14, and uh, so it's a uh, it's a cool age. Enjoy it, man. Thank you for joining the channel and and uh, playing guitar. Make sure you practice. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Good to reaffirm good habits. Practicing is good. Happy birthday. Uh, Patrick says, Hey Phil, I'm looking for a living room practice amp. Katana air looked nice, but it's too pricey. Should I buy the cheaper 50 watt combo instead of the cheap wireless dongle? Um, you know, I, me personally, I did not like the Katana air. Um, me and Ralph checked it out at a Sam Ash again. 
take always with a, a grain of salt the fact that I was checking it out in a store environment. I didn't get to have a like, personal interaction with it at home and figure out me. I just was not enjoying it. Uh, I didn't think it sounded good. It had that same un inexpensive amp kind of thing. I thought the Yamaha thing, uh, the TR10 just killed it. Uh, and I'm also it, totally, so you understand, I am not looking to add technology where technology doesn't uh, need to be. Um, you know, I, I think apps are cool. Don't get me wrong. I use my phone all day like everyone else, but sometimes I just don't want technology shoved in and everything. I have no problem using a guitar cable. I don't have a problem with guitar cables going out. I don't have, so having a wireless to a practice amp is not something I I uh, have been looking for. However, that being said, I understand why somebody would find it useful or interesting. You know, it's plugged in, it self charges, but I'm just gonna tell you, Patrick, I didn't personally like it. So the reason I tell you that is that I wanna let you know how really biased I am. Obviously I like the Katana 50 watt amp. So that is automatically, whether price or not, if they were the same price, I would recommend the 50 watt. I enjoyed the 50 watt amp. I, sounded, I thought it sounded really good. Um, in fact, I think personally, the reason I think I really enjoyed the Katana 50 watt is I found that that amp became a really nice barometer, I guess, if I'm trying to use a word, uh, on inexpensive and expensive solid state technology. I find that sometimes when I'm trying out really good stuff and I, uh, am, you know, amp wise, and I'm like, wow, this sounds really good. And I'm like, wow, it's $1,200. And then I go, well, you know, how much better was it than that Katana 50 or Katana 100? And most of the time, I, I, it's not. And I'm also a Roland Q fan. So I've always been a fan of the Roland stuff, but now the Boss Katana stuff. So long way to say Katana 50 is my pick for uh, for those two amps. But uh, if you guys have those amps, I'd love to, I'm sure he'd love to hear your comments as well. Uh, Alexander says, I have the Katana Air. It has, oh, hold on. Sorry, Alexander. I have the Katana Air. It has a horrible in, uh, interference problem. Okay, good to know. It's good. Like I said, I didn't. I was not impressed with what I tried. Um, Matt Harrison says I enjoy my Katana Mini, but it's two hundred dollars less. Yeah. See, again, the Katana. I thought the Katana Air again. It's not a bad product. It just didn't fit my needs and my expectations. Uh, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tell you guys. Actually, you know, it's funny. In that same day when we were abing stuff, there was a Yamaha THR ten. Is there a 15? It's a THR 10. Anyways, that thing just blew it out of the water. <laughs> just And I'm a boss guy. Like I, I like Yamaha, but I'm a boss guy. It's just, you know, uh, I'm programmed correctly for boss. In other words, uh, when I was young, boss was high end for me. You know, where I lived, uh, kids that, uh, you know, you didn't have boss money. Uh, it's uh, boss pedals and boss things were expensive, you know. Uh, it was like, <laughs> my joke is transformer and GoBots. DOD was like the GoBots to the boss being the transformers. Like you could buy a DOD pedal and that was the first brand name pedal I could afford was like DOD stuff. And it was good. I'm not knocking DOD. I still like them to this day, but it was like buying a boss pedal, man. That was, I, they were a hundred bucks then. They're a hundred bucks now. It's like boss head pedals haven't changed in price. I mean, they have, I know they have gone up, but they haven't felt like, They've kept up with the inflation. Um, what feels like was like a Boss Metal Zone, I think, is $90 now. And I, I, I'm pretty sure when I bought mine in 93, 94, it's probably 93, 94 when I bought a Metal Zone, I'm pretty sure I paid $75 to $85 then. So new. So interesting enough. Uh, 
All right. Um, hold on. Got a couple super chats. Want to make sure I tag those real quick. Uh, the first one's from Scott. He just said I rocked. Man, that's nothing. That's awesome. <laughs> nothing wrong with getting told you rocked while somebody uh, gives you a tip. That's awesome. Thank you, Scott. Uh, Bruce says sell guitars and buy a few customs or keep more. Um, okay. So I think you're asking me the question is, so you sell some of your guitars and buy a few customs or keep more, you know, Bruce, here is just something as, as an observation as of someone who has, uh, sold guitars to people, <laughs> right? I have, you know, I think anyone who's worked in a music store with, especially for any length of time, obviously I did it for over a decade, uh, selling guitars to people. You start learning the psychology of not only sales. I think if you work in sales, you learn the psychology of people and how that sales interaction works. But in guitars, it's a little different. And here's the thing I can tell you that I learned as the majority rules concept. If you own a $200 guitar, you will probably own a bunch of $200 guitars. If you own a two, so if you get a $2,000 guitar, you tend to buy a couple $2,000 guitars. What everybody thinks is as you go up, you slow down. When I meet people who buy $10,000 guitars, they have just as many guitars as someone who has $2,000 guitars or $200 guitars. I'm not even talking about the income of it. I'm not talking about whether or not you have the money to buy a $10,000 guitar or not. But what I've learned is you tend to buy in a range. Now, don't don't pick the outlier anomalies. So don't tell me in the comments right now that you have one $200 guitar and two $2,000 guitars and you're all over the place. Everybody's all over the place. But we're talking about the majority. You tend to stick in a comfort zone of prices and go there. So when I've, what I'm telling you is, is just be aware of the pitfall. A lot of players will sell a bunch of, let's say, $500 guitars. Let's keep it easy. You have four or five $500 guitars. You sell them and you buy yourself a $3,000 guitar, like a, a, a nice high-end kind of guitar. And you buy that $3,000 guitar and it, you think you're going to be happy with the guitar. What you're going to find is you're going to end up buying another $3,000 guitar. Like when you step, once you get to a level, you just, whatever you financially tolerate, you'll just do. Again, those are the things that I've seen with people. I rely on that to be the majority rules and uh, it happens a lot. So, so just be aware of that. I think everybody tries to outthink the, the strategy, which is if I just buy one nice guitar, I'll be happy. And, um, uh, what I've learned is the people who have people, players who have one or two guitars and have stuck with it, stuck with it. Doesn't matter what the price is. I have a good friend. He's got the guitar his parents gave him when he's playing guitar. He could outplay me 10,000 times fold. He's an amazing guitar player. Uh, and um, to him, it's just the guitar his parents gave him. He has a second guitar only because he needed a backup one day. So he bought a second guitar. Uh, he plays other guitars and it's funny. He'll go, oh, this guitar is great. And he just puts it back. There's no impulse in him to buy another guitar. Uh, bless him for that. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, I'm not going to lie. I'm jealous. <laughs> I would like to just be like, yeah, just have one squire and call it a day. Uh, okay. So, um, uh, Peter just wants to say it's his first time on the live show and he loves the show. Thank you, Peter. I appreciate that. Um, Matt Harrison said, this is why I'm scared to spend over a thousand dollars. Well, you know, Matt, again, don't, don't, don't forget that one little piece in that like story, that analogy I'm giving, which is the comfort zone thing. I find that you find a price point, a guitar that you like, a price point you like, and you stick to it. So like you said, if you spend over a thousand dollars, it's like I said, it's possible that you'll start buying guitars all over $1,000. But my feeling is, is that, 
most people, if you buy one guitar that's more expensive than your other guitars and you truly love it to the point where you get rid of the guitars, you'll go down that road. Otherwise, that'll be your outlier, just one high-end guitar. So that's what's happened with me when people talk about, sometimes I mention that I won't spend a certain amount on a guitar and somebody will reference, well, you have a guitar that costs that. What are you saying? And I'm trying to explain that, yeah, I will spend on the high end on a guitar once or twice and have those guitars. But my experience is I'm much happier with a guitar in the price point that I like. And so, you know, Matt, my, my price point's a thousand bucks. I don't know why that is. It's not based in any kind of real life. There's no thing, there's nothing I can tell you that makes a guitar $1,000 that makes it so much better than any other guitar or worse than another guitar. Just, I feel like those guitars for me over time as a collector have been a, a place where I don't freak out. I don't feel like I have to, you know, put my child's lives at hawk <laughs> to buy that guitar. It's just where I'm comfortable. At. Somebody will be much different. Um, uh, you guys have seen my buddy Ralph on the show. Ralph will not, he doesn't like to spend that much. It's not where his comfort zone is. So, okay. So, hold on. I got a couple of pin questions. Let me jump back and forth because now I, I got a bunch of questions on both sides. Uh, the next question comes from Javier. Javier says, I'm putting a US 8515 in the bridge of my PRS custom. The 8515 is a PRS uh, pickup. It's actually one of my favorite pickups. It's what's in my CE hollow body. And it's what I've had to added to one of my S2s. Uh, what would play nice with that in the neck? Uh, well, I like the 8515 set. I like the 8515 for the neck as well. For the neck, I would also recommend if you're going to stay with PRS pickups, uh, the 59. I really like that in the neck with the 8515. The 57 is also nice, the 5708, but it's a little lower output. And I think the 59 will not be so dramatic compared to the 8515. The 8515 is not a hot pickup, not high output pickup, but definitely not a low output pickup. 8515 the bridge, 59 in the neck. If you want to stay PRS world, that's what I would recommend. It's what I would use. I would do that combination if it was available to me to get. Matt Wells says, hey, Phil, I've always been a Fender amp guy, but would love to get into the Marshall world. What combo would you recommend for up to $1,000 used or new for Blues Rock? Oh, JVM, man. If you could get the JVM, uh, the 50 watt 112 or 212 combo, probably the 112 in the $1,000 range, I think you'd be happy. Um, here's why I say that. If you're a Fender amp guy, Depends on what kind of Fender amp guy you are. See, Fender amp guy, it gets a little tricky because there's different kind of Fender amps. There's a Fender Bassman, and then there's Fender like Deluxe Reverb or a Twin Reverb. To me, those are dramatically different amps. You're either, uh, some Fender amps uh, don't have reverbs and some do. I'm assuming that most Fender guys, when they say I'm a Fender amp guy, you're a fan of reverb. So in the Marshall world, there's going to be a few amps that have the Marshall, uh, the reverbs, like the uh, maybe the, the JCM 2000 uh, and stuff like that. But I think, seriously, the, the JVM has got a great clean channel. It's got a great blues rock channel, great metal channel. It's got reverb. It's in that price point you're talking. It's made in UK. It's legitimate. And it will take you into the martial world, let you have something really diverse, and still make you want to love your Fender amp. So, um, I, like I said, Matt, uh, let, let me know what you think. Don't be surprised if I look at something like that, too. I'm thinking about doing something like that myself. I was just talking about that today, the JVM. The one, two, three, Jim Thomas just said, thanks. He just wanted to say thanks. Well, one, two, three, Jim Thomas. Thank you back, man. I appreciate that. Let's go ahead. Let's see what questions over here now. 
so hold on. Phil just said, Maine, UK. UK. <laughs> okay. All right. You guys are talking back and forth, so which is good, but I'm trying to find a couple. Let's see. Um, all right. Here we go. Let's see. Danny Boy says, will you work on the neck of my Taylor 714C Granatorium? Danny, you have to be local. Um, it's all on the website page. There is a thing where you can ship me guitars. We have done that. Um, it, so, I mean, you can do that. All the information, if you want me to work on a guitar, is pretty straightforward. It's on the knowyourgear.net website. Uh, I do work on guitars all week. Uh, I it, it, We keep talking about opening up as more of a public thing less of a private thing because i keep i have a pretty long private uh clientele list so work-wise like and you can tell when i and that's what people don't understand you can tell when i'm working a lot of repairs uh there'll be one video that week this week i didn't do as many repairs as i did and same with last week that's why there was more videos last week and this week uh it's it's what happens is you know if i spend four days of the week solid doing repairs all, all day it really kills the YouTube time. So and vice versa, but I've been managing it. So it's good. So that's the downfall of this. I love doing repairs. In fact, I probably like doing that more than anything else. I really enjoy this a lot too. But I mean, if I was going to say, you know, repairs, like, I don't know, 1%, I like it 1% more than this. However, it's a, it's a catch 22. The more I do repairs, the less I can do this. The more I do this, the less I do repairs. So I've been trying to blend that out. So that's what we say. Luckily for me, I, I've worked in the area and the city I live in, I've been re repairing guitars for 12 years. So 12 years of repairs gives you a pretty long clientele list that I'm working from. So uh, every day my phone's chiming off with people for, for the repairs and stuff. So I just do that. So uh, let's see. Ken wants to know, where are the GNL reviews? Uh, I did a GNL review. I don't know if you watched it. I did it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I have two GNLs. So I did one and the other one is right there. And uh, uh, that one was filmed, I think around the same time. It just hasn't released yet. So Ken, maybe because you mentioned it, I'll release that one out. It's just basic. It's the same guitar, just slightly different. And I wanted, I did a little comparison of the hardtail versus tremolo to show and talk about the necks a little bit. So hey, a beer wants to know what's that funky blue guitar next to my solar. Oh, that guitar right there. If you're watching the podcast or this podcast, you don't know what we're talking about. Uh, that is a famous television guitar. Uh, what's interesting about that guitar right there is that um, you might have seen it make an appearance the other day in a video, but it wasn't that one. There's two physically right now in the house, two versions of that guitar. And uh, the uh, the the folks at Framus, I reached out to them and I said, hey, I really like the television guitar. I think it's your best guitar. And I said, I'd like to review one. And uh, they asked me, they sent me two to, to decide which one I want to review. And I said, could you send them both? And they sent them both so we can A, B them and stuff. So that's coming uh, this month that'll be in this month for sure the and then <laughs> so
Somebody said, what's the brand of the, oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. And then we'll get, somebody says, what's the brand of the light blue? There's a light blue frost blue base. That's the Ibanez Mezzo base. That will be next week's video. Uh, I don't think I have any reason to push it back. It's uh, it's to follow up after the uh, Firma base, which I did there from Ibanez. Uh, they uh, were nice enough. Uh, I asked them if I would send out this base, the Mezzo base. Mezo base at the NAM show and they end up sending two. So I got the Affirma and this one to check out and uh, I'll do both those. I'm more excited. I love the Affirma base. Uh, hands down. I'm just in love with that base. Uh, I can't stop thinking about it. I can't stop playing it. It's amazing. However, I think everybody's going to be more excited about the Mezo base and I think I'm more excited to do the video for the Mezo base. All right. Uh, what else do we got? Oh, Rick's got a hard question for me, man. Rick wants to know, can you advise on how to keep a guitar from too much humidity? Uh, a lot of a lot of product add humidity. How can we remove it? Yeah, you're in a different world than I am uh, because I'll never have too much humidity. I'm in the desert. However, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, my buddy Thor, when I was at his house in Nashville, he had a dehumidifier in his rooms. Uh, those of you in wet climates probably have more better suggestions or better suggestions than me on that, but I dehumidifiers as well. Um, I don't know anything else that will take the moisture from the room. I'd have to, like I said, it's a tough question. Generally speaking, I mean, you have to have a lot of moisture for it to be really bad for the guitars, really humid. So I'm imagining you are, if you're having that problem. So I'd say a dehumidifier, but this is always what I love about this is there's somebody out there and they're going to have a cool trick. A lot of you guys last week, by the way, put some amazing comments last QA video and answered a ton of the questions. And I was really, really, I, like I said, I learned a couple things reading some of you guys' comments. It was fantastic. Thank you guys so much for doing that. Um, the sad thing about YouTube and the way the comments work, I can pin one comment to the top. So I want, I pinned one person's to the top. But the problem is, is then somebody else had a great answer to another question. So unfortunately I can't pin them. I wish there was a way I could highlight them. Maybe I'll put the heart button. You know, when I say I like a video, maybe that'll highlight it for you guys to see that they answered a question for everybody. So, uh, dare, Deer, Deera says, are you still looking at the Ibanez AZ guitars? Which one are you looking at? Yeah, I am. You know, I, I was really, really looking at the made in Japan one. And, uh, that's where I was focusing all my energy and time. You know, my issue with it was it was $2,000 and it's, you know, but it looks like a great guitar. I'm going to tell you after playing this Affirma bass made in Indonesia, I know somebody made a comment in the video that it's $1,500 made in Indonesia. Look, look, I understand it's $1,500. But it, it, I don't care where it's made when it comes out like that. I can't tell the difference between that and anything else. I think if you told me that was handmade in Germany, I'd be like, yep, that thing felt great. Um, I didn't see any issues at all. So that being said, that's really changed my kind of way of thinking to check out the premium made in Indonesia AZ guitars. And what's, that's what I plan to do. So I'm going to do one of two things. I'm going to reach out to Ibanez first since I've now got a little relationship going with them. And they're nice enough to send some guitars for us to check out. If they'll send me one to check out, we're going to do it. If they can't or they won't, uh, which, you know, it's their prerogative, I understand. I will get my hands on one and I'll just buy one. So um, I just, you know, it's nicer sometimes if I don't have to buy stuff every every time I do a video because it's it financially just it gets a little it gets a little tough. <laughs> so plus my wife only falls for it so many times <laughs> like, oh, no, I have to buy this because I got to make a video. So uh, 
<laughs> my wife does the math. She's like, you buy a thousand dollar guitar and you made $38 on the video. So no, I'm just kidding. Uh, all right. So metal fender guy says Squire stage master and Samick strat. Do you like them? Uh, well, the Samick strat, uh, you know, it's probably been 10 years since I put my hand on one of those Samick strat style guitars. Um, and so what I'm saying is the ones I played, I think were made in Korea. That's so long ago. I think, uh, Samick was in Korea at the time and those were fine. Uh, I, like I said, nothing stuck out as being amazing, but I mean, they were good guitars as good as anything else. The Squire stage masters. I remember liking them a lot. Uh, I thought they had a lot of cool features. I think they're cool. I like anything fender wise where they paint the headstock. I always think it kind of is a cool, unique kind of thing. So yeah, I liked both of them. Uh, but I mean, personally, I think I, since it sticks out to me more, I kind of like the Squire stage master more, which is funny because I'm really usually a pro Samick everything, but in those two instances, I really like the stage masters. Um, Nathan wants to know Gibson junior versus special in an SG versus Les Paul shape. Um, so you're asking, so the question is like, which one do I like the Gibson junior or the special? Um, so I'm trying to answer what would I want to get if I was getting one, probably the Gibson junior and Les Paul shape. Yeah. Gibson, Les Paul junior with P nineties. Because you know what? That's a guitar that's been on my radar for a while. I've picked up a couple at the Guitar Center, um, but every time I pick them up, they're heavy. So I've been trying to find a light one. I've actually, no, I took one, I take it back. I picked up one at the Guitar Center. It was actually perfect, light and everything, but it had a crack in the neck. It was like a finish separating from the fretboard. So that uh, was a no-go. That one was used. So so not to start any kind of like, you know, oh, it was defective Gibson stuff. It was a used guitar. So I don't know where the damage came from. So uh jackson wants to know you guys it's funny you just ask mostly questions today's going to be mostly questions about what's in the room the next question is from jackson he says hey phil how's that freeman uh pt compared to the jubilee decent for 80s rock uh, to me they're totally different monsters uh even though i think the pt is kind of like a hot rodded jc 100 kind of vibe they're different different animals uh you know what it is? It's the Freedman is everything that when you picture the Marshall in your head to be, that's what the Freedman is. Like when you think of Marshall and you think of like, like here's an example with the, the, this, this amp, the, the Silver Jubilee. When I picture the Silver Jubilee, when I picture the sound in my head of what I'm about to plug into, I picture like these Guns N' Roses albums and I picture these great Marshall tones. And you plug into Marshall, it's always kind of fizzy and it's not exactly, but it's got that Marshall tone, but it's not that polished recorded Marshall tone. Free, the Freeman has that Marshall beefy recorded sound, the sound you hear on an album. So, and I've talked about this before with pedals, some pedals, when they clone Marshall's and I, I tell people all the time, the, the pedal pal effects, a perfect example, pedal pal effects makes Marshall's in a box and they do a fantastic job, but they make the Marshall the way the Marshall is. So if you want to hear a Marshall, the way it's supposed to sound raw, like it is, you get like a pedal pal effects pedal and it sounds like it where other pedals, some other Marshall's in a box pedals, they sound like Marshall, but they sound like that more recorded Marshall tone. I hope this is making sense. What I'm saying. I think a lot of you can relate to what I'm saying. Uh, Marshall's always sound the same, but in recordings, Marshall's just like in a band mix, Marshall's come to life when they're mixed with other instruments and other sounds. So to me, uh, the Friedman is, uh, is that fuller, fatter, punchier, more polished Marshall tone. So that's why, like, for instance, they're standing next to each other because when I'm say being the two, that's what I was checking out about them. And there's something, you know what it is? I prefer out of those two amps, without a doubt, I prefer the Friedman 
uh, for the overall sounds. But the Marshall, plugging in that Marshall is like plugging into a time machine, man. You just plug into a Marshall and hit the first chord and it's going to take you back to some kind of Marshall, you know, esque time. Um, and then Nick says he disagrees with the Freeman statement. He says, I bought a, a BE 100 expecting it to sound like a perfect hot rod and Marshall. And it was very disappointed. Um, so that's a really see, and that's where it gets a little tricky. Cause he says, okay, so you want, you want it to sound like a perfect hot rod and Marshall, but see, again, I don't think of, that's how everybody describes Freedman's to me, you know, the hot rod and Marshall's. That's not what I hear when I hear Freedman's. I hear Freedman's as that, like I said, that polished recorded Marshall sound. I don't know how to explain it. I'm sure maybe that's something that's a good, maybe a good video to try and talk about. What I'm basically saying is to me, there's a difference between how a Marshall sounds and how people have recorded Marshall's over the years. And that's, that's a thing. Like for instance, a Freeman has way more low end and full bass response. Something a Marshall to me typically doesn't have, but when you hear Marshall's in albums with the bass in, you know, in the album and all the instruments in the album, the Marshall does have that. So again, so, but I, I like Friedman. Uh, I'm a Friedman guy. I like Friedman amps a lot. I like Marshall amps a lot. So that works. So, okay. Um, <laughs> Dave, our guitar says, am I the only one that groans every time I see a Harley Benton video? I'm going to say, yeah, I don't know. I feel like every time I feel like all you have to do is make a Harley Benton video to get views. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. It's like the it's weird. Just trust me. It wasn't an easy thing. I was really pushing back not to do Harley Benton videos for a long time because I kind of feel like everybody was doing them. There was a lot of information about that out there. I didn't feel like I could add anything to the conversation. Uh, although I was like, man, what an easy way to get some clicks. But as we know, I I've reached out to Harley Benton. There is some guitars coming and uh, hopefully the videos will be interesting. Like I said, I feel pretty confident that out of the majority of the pieces I got, 90% of them, uh, I picked out things that I didn't see a lot of people talking about or I thought would be interesting, especially in their acoustic lineup. I really, really wanted to see what value uh, Harley Benton adds to the acoustic range because the fact that that's what I think sometimes everybody's really looking for is that really good, inexpensive acoustic. So it's really nice to get, because acoustics, it's not like electric guitars, man. When acoustic guitar is bad, it's like, Again, it could just be me, but so you know, when an acoustic guitar does not sound good, it is just nails on a chalkboard. It's horrible. I hate it. And a lot of cheap, cheap acoustic guitars just sound like bathtubs. They're just horrible. So, so when they make a good inexpensive acoustics, uh, to me, they're like gold. And my, uh, also for something I've noticed over the years too, it seems like every time somebody makes a good inexpensive acoustic, it's only for a short time. And then it kind of changes into something else because I think it's too hard to make Acoustic, it's hard to it's hard to cover up the mistakes and the mess of it. I think you can make a decent, inexpensive electric guitar and hide a lot of the shortcomings of it. But an acoustic, man, it, it tells the truth. So RNA just said he stopped in for a second before he goes back to teaching. Hey man, the uh it's good to see you here. The hold on, I'm jumping screens. I was in jumping screens mid-talk, which probably was not the best thing. Um okay the nick says hey phil where the hell is your keezel i don't know <laughs> i feel like i ordered mine just a little bit before you and got mine two months later i never ordered a keezel so i tried to order keezel twice what ended up happening it was probably my fault um my buddy nathan knows a guy named chris there at keezel i 
met him briefly at the NAM show. Um, and I called to talk to him when I called, I got some, I could you call, I call this, this, the normal Kiesel number that you call. And the sales guy on the phone said that Chris was in the back cleaning up. I, I don't know. It was weird. And then he goes, and I said, cool. Can you have him call me? And I gave him my information. And I never heard back. I called again and talked to somebody else and they said he was busy and, and uh, I said, okay. And same thing left a message and he, uh, I don't think he got the messages. So, um, that that's kind of where it all left. And it, it's just, I don't know. So that's where it got left. I tried a couple times. Maybe I should have tried again. So, and then I kind of slowly talk myself out of a geezel. <laughs> that's what happens, right? I mean, you're, you're gung ho for something and kind of slowly talk yourself out of it. Um, I still want one. Uh, I even started, you know what I did? I spent a lot of my efforts, uh, in the last month or so looking at used ones, thinking maybe I could find a used one. So, but Nick, let me know what you think of yours. Uh, like I said, everybody seems to really like them. I still want one. It's still on my radar. It's the thing to do. You know, I just really don't enjoy waiting for it. The whole custom wait time thing is not very exciting to me. So I'm trying to get, you know, and that's what happens. The, the other thing too is like, like, let's say tomorrow. Well, not tomorrow. Let's say Monday. I decide, well, maybe I'll call him today. What happens? Is I start thinking going, yeah, but it's gonna be a couple months before I have the guitar. And then I got other stuff to do. So I just push it off. And the next thing you know, a couple of weeks have gone by again and I haven't ordered it. So maybe I'll try again and reach out to them. And this time, maybe I should just talk to the first guy to answer the phone. Uh, Corey Duke says, do you think the higher number of bands, artists who want guitarists, that use not no stage volume will increase and make modelers become the norm more so than the will of the guitar player to use the amps. I uh, two amps. Yeah. So Corey, great, great question. The question basically revolves around do, do I think, do I think that the modelers are going to overtake because artists uh, don't want the stage volume? I think the modelers are going to overtake in uh, for a ton of reasons. The first uh, reason I kind of explained to everybody is, that when people talk about tube amps, they, they speak in a way that people used to talk about records and CDs and the fact that the integrity of the sound of the music has so much value. You know what I mean? MP3s were not, do not sound as good as CDs. Let's just, I don't even talk about records. Just MP3s do not sound as good as CDs. That That's not even uh, a guess. You try it, go in your car, put a CD in your car, listen to one song, Play that same song through your MP3 player, through your car, and uh, it won't sound as good. That being said, streaming services. I don't even use MP3s anymore. I use Spotify. I'm Spotifying everything. Uh, and I have, a, I have like, actually have a couple. I have a Google platform, Spotify. There's paid uh, Pandora. And I have uh, YouTube because I pay for YouTube premium. So I have all these streaming services. So when I literally go on road trips or when I go anywhere, I don't even, I don't even buy any music anymore. It's horrible. I, I feel like a, a horrible person. I feel like, uh, you know, how you guys patron me. I feel like I should just pick some of my favorite bands and just patron them because I don't know what to do other than I go see as many live shows as I can because the only way I'm listening to music anymore is through streaming services. Now, streaming services don't sound as good as MP3. So like I said, follow the continuation. MP3s don't sound as good as CDs. Streaming doesn't sound as good as MP3s. But the reason CDs were so cool for me was... I could take on a road trip 200 CDs in those little, remember those little folders? You would take all this music with you. And then when I got an MP3 player, I was like, wow, I could take, I could take a thousand songs with me, you know, anywhere I go. And it was great. And now streaming services, it's like I can take infinity. The whole music world comes with me wherever I go. And uh, so anyways, my point is why that equates to what we're talking about. Convenience one is what I'm saying. 
the convenience of being able to stream music through my phone compared to actually carrying a separate MP3 player, compared to carrying a separate brick or case of CDs. Convenience one, even though I'm a music, avid music lover, I love music and I love to hear it played in a better quality sound, but convenience wins. So music will, music musicians will follow the same trend in my opinion. Convenience will win. Not hauling two Marshall stacks, not in cost. Streaming services are cheap compared to, you know, like I said, um, buying CDs and all that stuff. So, so basically, um, so basically think of it this way. I think it's going to be cost effectiveness. You're going to see musicians using modeling systems. I think it's going to be convenience. And I think it's going to, and when I say when, keep in mind, people still buy records. There's record stores. There's two record stores by my house. They sell records only record stores. There are CD stores. They still see sell CDs at the Walmart, right? Those things are not gone. They're just not winning. See, I think modelers and tube amps will eventually fall into that same platform. Tube amps will never go away, but they're not going to win because convenience and, and, and think about this. We haven't even gotten to the point where these modeling units have gotten super uh, inexpensive. Wait till there's an, a quality Axe effects unit for 300 bucks. That's going to be devastating. It's going to be devastating. The first time you see an artist grab a technology like that, that is sub $500. This is no different than the iPads in the computer world, right? Once you make it inexpensive enough and quality enough, it's going to be hard to fight. I don't know how, I don't know how, I know how, actually back up. I know how a $2,000 tube amp can compete with a $2,000 fractal. I do. I understand because there's two different players, but how is a $2,000 tube amp going to compete with a three to $500 fractal? I don't know. I don't know if that's a world that that's going to make a lot of sense. And then if you talk to tube amp companies, they say the same thing that tubes are becoming a problem for everybody getting good tubes and it's become trouble. And again, this isn't about how tube amps are going to die and no one's going to have tube amps. Everybody who still loves tube amps will have tube amps in 10 years. I promise. Or at least I believe I'm going to have these in 10 years still. Everything's going to still go. However, I think modeling will gain more ground. So here's the deal. Big fluff music. Perfect example. Tube amps will hold their value and digital stuff won't. Well, here's the great thing about what I'm saying. But it, digital stuff will continue to get less expensive. So holding value, which will be... A, val a valid argument. It's going to be tough when it's inexpensive though. You get it? You see what I'm saying? So I agree. And that's how I feel. That's so you know, part of my logic of buying, let's say, look at example, this amp, uh, this amp here, the, uh, the silver Jubilee, uh, mini 25 watt head. I think that's $1,300 street and your cabinet's like $700 street or something like that, $800. So you're talking about $2,000 for that street price that puts you into that processor world. Me personally, I still value a tube amp over a processor for me personally, because of that logic. I know what this is worth and I don't know what the digital processors work worth in my mind. So that's why I said, I think, to get guys like me, to get the last holdouts of the tube amp world, the digital models, modelers, I don't think it's going to be about getting much better than they are. I think it's going to be about getting much cheaper than they are. Again, you're going to, you know what I mean? It's going to be tough for me to go, well, oh, do I really spend all that money for a tube amp or do I take the cheaper way? Just like the music thing. Do I go to the store, I buy some CDs, get the better quality, drag them around, or do I just stream Spotify for, you know, seven, $8 a month or whatever it is. So there you go, $10 a month. So, uh, Dylan says, what's your favorite pedal? My favorite pedal, um, 
Man, it's an impossible question. So I'm going to give you my favorite pedal. Like if I could only have one pedal right now ever, it would be the Boss RC1 or the TC Electronics Ditto. Uh, but I'd probably the Boss RC1. Looper. A looper would be my main pedal. So I know it's not probably what you're going for, you know, but that is my favorite pedal because if I can only have one pedal, I'd have a looper. So um, hold on a second. I've been on this screen. I got to go back to the other one. And uh, Dream Machine says, what do you think of Hughes and Kettner amps? Uh, other than I can't say the name right half the time, I say Kettner <laughs> instead of Kettner. I'm sure, right? Kettner. Uh, what do I think of their amps? Uh, I have the Grandmeister 40 right there. Um, I love it. And I use it all the time. And what I notice about that amp that's most interesting to note about that amp is... Um, Every time I do a video review where I use that amp as the tone, I see more comments in the comment section about how good the tone sounds than any of the other amps I use. And I'm not sure what that is specifically, but I will tell you one interesting thing about the Grandmeister 40 for me, and it might help some of you that have it and who have reached out to me and said that, you know, you've had trouble getting some of the good tones out of Hughes & Kettner. Um, I like Hughes & Kettner. First thing to know about Hughes & Kettner is it has its own sound, so be aware of that. But what I was going to tell you was, me, this amp, the Grandmeister 40, I don't do any of the weird, you know, four channel switching stuff. I use only the clean channel with the gain at about 80% and boosted. So I literally run the clean channel dirty on that amp. To me, it sounds identical to a Plexi. And, uh, and, uh, and I, I feel good about that because I feel like a couple of my buddies have all confirmed they say the same thing. It sounds great and it sounds like a plexi. It's got a very Marshall plexi sound. So I get this kind of plexi sound, but it has digital delay and reverb built into it. It's like the best of both worlds. And um, if I want, it's foot switchable to do the boost, turn it on off, but I actually just roll my volume off a little bit, clean it up and play my cleans on that too. So I love that amp. Um, that being said, I do have the Hughes & Kittner Spirit amp. That's the new solid-state transistor amplifier. And when I say have it, it showed up yesterday. I was messing with it last night, and I uh, can't give you any impressions about it yet because I, other than the first impression, which is loud, it, it gets quiet, of course, but I mean, I cranked that sucker. It was ripping my head off loud, uh, which is what I was curious about. How loud was that uh, solid-state 200 watts? It was pretty loud. So that's what I think of the Hughes and Kettner stuff. I really like it. But I really think Hughes and Kettner is not an amp company that the average Joe or Jane can plug into and expect. And Mesa Boogie falls in this line too. I don't think if you've never had a Hughes and Kettner, just like if you've never had a Mesa Boogie, I feel confident with both these brands saying this. If you've never had these amps before and you plug into them and you start trying to get sounds out of them real quick and just play, I don't think that's what it's about. I think Hughes and Kenner, you got to learn it a little bit. Learn to figure out, you know, this is my advice. Learn to figure out where the gain is. You know, mess with the gain. Turn the gain down. Turn it up. You know, on this amp, I learned, you know, uh, on the heavy channels, the distorted channels, I don't like the gain past halfway on any of them. Even if that means going quarter, quarter, you know, only a quarter of the gain, but using a boost. I find that it took the fizz out that a lot of people didn't like. And I, I, and then I found these sweet spots. So you got to find sweet spots with it. So there you go. I think, I think it has good tones, but I think you have to work out a little bit. Um, and that's my experience with most of the Hughes and Kettners as well. Uh, Oliver, uh, Oliver ground, grunt town, grunt worm, <laughs> grunt worm, Jensen. Ah, 
Oliver. Okay. He says, I challenge you to try and say, oh my gosh, Rod God, Roger made a Florida thing. There's no way, man. <laughs> Rod Grod made Flood. Yeah. With weird slashes through zeros. <laughs> Maybe that's funny for everybody. I hope it is. I feel like I said, all I do, I feel like on these live shows is read what feels like license plates to me. I'm just trying to figure out what it says. Uh, it's just because it's, I know, no, everybody's got a, an interesting sign on. Kevin just did a super chat for no reason. Thank you, Kevin. That was a big super chat too, man. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, uh, Victor says, hey, Phil, just ordered, it's, Cayo. I, I'm, I don't want to butcher the first name, so I'll say Victor. Hey, Phil, just ordered a Strandberg Classic 6, but it's going to need a noiseless single coil for the neck. Any recommendations? I'm not picky about vintage. Uh, just want to play nice PAF Pro. So it has a single coil, but it's not noiseless. You want a noiseless one? Um, you know, I don't know what the other pickups in that guitar are going to be, so that's really tricky. Uh, i really a big fan of the uh, DiMaggio noiseless pickups. Um, if you want for me though, to me, what I like about DiMaggio, I think DiMaggio makes the best noiseless pickups that sound like actual single coil pickups. Fender pickups that are noiseless are not very, they're not, they're not, they don't bring me joy. <laughs> Again, I, I'm trying to word it. So it's correct. Cause I don't want to say I hate them cause I don't hate them. I just, they're quiet. They, you know, I, I just had this problem the other night messing with, I have a Fender American Strat Deluxe with noiseless pickups in it. And when I unplugged it and plugged in on my other two Strats, which are just standard single coil pickups, they were twice as loud as those noiseless. So I would go, I would recommend going DiMaggio. I really like them. Seymour Duncan's good too, but I like the DiMaggio's. Um, I like the the HS3s or whatever the equivalent now, what they call the, the old Yngwie mounting pickups. Those are great. And the ones that Paul Gilbert used, I think the injectors are awesome. Great too. Although I can't remember if the injectors are the noiseless ones. But I would definitely recommend those, uh, those, uh, Ingve Malmsteen style ones. There you go. All right, you could also put a blade pickup in there, like a dual humbucker, right? Get like a you could get like a mini PAF kind of mini humbucker in there too. That'd sound great. Uh, I find a lot of those mini humbuckers in the neck sound particularly really good because of that narrow field that they generate. You know what I mean? They don't they don't they don't they don't have a huge huge bass spectrum. They really get really nice mids and and the neck pickup. You're always going to get a little warmth out of it anyways. So it just kind of makes it crisp and nice, and it makes the notes have a nice little attack that they normally don't have if they have a full humbucker in there. So something to think about. Brett says looking for a tube combo and head and cabinet for an apartment use. I mostly play heavy music like Periphery. Archon Twenty Five is at the top of my list, but I'm also looking at the Sixty Five Hundred Five Mini Head and One Twelve Cab. Any other ideas? Um, well, I think you're down the right road, man. But you know, you're talking about two different price points. The Archon Twenty Five, even used, you're going to be looking at seven hundred to a thousand dollars. Although I'm a big proponent of that, as you can see behind me right there with my Archon, it's still one of my favorite high gain amps no for sure and to me the difference between the archon 25 and the 6505 mini is the difference between like a legitimate studio quality amplifier that a professional musician musician would feel uh, proud to own and use and the 6505 mini h is a great amplifier that is really more of a bedroom guitar player's amplifier and i mean that no respect i'm the bedroom guitar player so i'm just picking on myself so um that being said i would never pick in my opinion the 6505 mini over the archon but 
that doesn't mean I wouldn't pick the 6505 because the factor would be the cost, $500 versus, like I said, 1000 or more. But the other uh, thing you could look at, which is also going to be very expensive, is my uh, um, oh, another one of my favorite amps, which is the Mark 525. To me, it does everything the Archon does, plus reverb. It's a lot smaller, just a lot more expensive. Can't go wrong with that amp. In fact, I think the Mesa Boogie Mark 525, I think I've had it now three years. I've had it since it first came out. Still, I love it today as much as I did the day I bought it. It's a great amp. I can't say enough great things about it. So, um, and then on that note, uh, the other amp you might want to consider, the 5150s, man, by, you know, right? So you can look at the LBX. I think the LBX will give uh, the Archon, oh, and the MT-15 by Paul Reed Smith. Uh, so the MT-15, so here's here's some side thoughts. MT-15 by Paul Smith has a fantastic distortion channel, but a really, really fantastic clean channel. The uh, 5150, like the LBX, uh, in this price range you're talking about, uh, the LBX uh, first one, which has the, du the dual gain channels, sound phenomenal, better than I think than the MT-15, but no clean channel. The LBX2, the clean channel is not as good as the... MT-15 and the dirty channel is not as good as the M15. So think about it that way, but they're both really good. They're just different. I just, I like the crunchiness versus the fizziness. I like how the Ar the Archon has more of a crunch Marshall kind of vibe and less of the, the 5150 fizz, but I like the 5150 as well. Jason Lee just did a super chat for no reason. And so did BK. Appreciate that guys. You're awesome. Let me go over to the non super chat size and grab some questions over here or some comments. What has my list doing? Uh, talked about the new article. Oh, oh, you know what? We'll talk about it real quick, real fast. Last week's subject on the QA was Gibson's new guitars, uh, the 2019s. Something interesting that came up again when I was talking about you guys bringing amazing comments. You had some really, really, really amazing comments about the new 2019 Gibsons, and here's what I thought was interesting about that. The majority of you said the problem with Gibson in the past was their quality control. So the question was, how did Gibson fix the quality control and how does any of these new models address that? And I thought that was fantastic, perfect. You guys are always on it way more than, than I could ever be. I appreciate that. Literally, I get your, what you're saying. You're saying, hey, look, yeah, some of the old things that Gibson did weren't that great. You didn't like all the weird push pulls and the circuitry and stuff. And it, it's better if they streamline the product line and stay focused. But that wasn't the complaint of the, of the majority of people. Majority of people are complaining about quality. So the quality is in question. And, and you're right. When I looked and I looked at all the videos of all the new 2018s and how great they are and how great Gibson's doing, no one really spoke to the fact that the quality improved very much. Uh, in fact, it was always brushed upon. It wasn't like a, a, a main factor. So the question is, did Gibson, did they just, did they just rechange everything? And then now we're going to forget that they had quality issues or they addressed the quality issues. Uh, and see Sony, Sony says Gibson quality still sucks. So interesting enough, again, I can't tell you that this is a fact. I can only tell you what was sent to me. Two of you sent me emails showing me that you went to your local stores, tried out 2019 models and both said 
who independent from each other, who don't know each other. And these emails said that the Gibsons you picked up were not very good and the quality did not seem to be improved very much. However, the thing I have to point out to you guys is imagine is I don't, I wasn't there. That wasn't part of my assessment. In fact, what I did this week was when I got some free time, I went to the local dealers in, in Phoenix, cause it's Phoenix, a big area that carry Gibsons. And I could not find any 2019s to try. Uh, everything was a hodgepodge of the old 2019s and the old 2018s and, and nothing of the new. So don't know, but I like to point out how amazing that you guys, uh, really did not just go with the whole, you know, Hey, Gibson's better. Cause everybody loves them now on YouTube. <laughs> so I thought it was great. We'll hold the, you know, like I said, more, con like I said, I think I stand, stand by what I said last week. I think they made some great decisions. I think they're moving in the right direction. I'm really excited about Gibson improving things, but I really impressed with you guys for really staying focused on the real core thing, which is did Gibson improve their quality. I'm going to try and see if I can get my hands on a 2019 and maybe give you some feedback. I know that's only going to be one of many, but, uh, they, uh, anyways, there you go. All right. Uh, let's see. What else do we got? We got some more questions pinned over on this side. Maybe here we go. Uh, uh, Reggie said, Hey, sent you an email about building my first kit. Any tips? Um, you know, any tips on your first kit guitar? Hmm. That's a good question. You know, it's funny is I've done a couple kit guitars and it never really occurred to me. Like what's something that I would say that you should do when you're doing the kit guitar first. Um, I would say the first thing you want to do is take an assessment of all the components on the guitar and try to figure out if there's anything that you first think you might want to upgrade before you actually install it. Um, the other thing I would tell you is, it depends, well, actually, let's go back a step. Here's what I need to know, Reggie, is if you are building the kit guitar for mostly to learn about putting a guitar together, then I would highly recommend you not putting any more effort in, 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 in money-wise in the guitar. Just build the kit as it sits and try to make the best possible kit guitar ever. However, you're building a kit guitar to build yourself something personal, like make yourself something kind of custom and cool, I would go ahead and assess the guitar so that you don't have to redo any work later. Go ahead and make those upgrades later. The other thing about kit guitars is don't be afraid to bring in an outside source on this. And what I mean by that is a lot of times people get really hung up on doing their kit guitar themselves. And I'm, you know, like, like painting and but i've seen people do some interesting things with kick guitars where they put it together themselves but they took it to a paint shop and had the body painted you know what i mean don't don't cheat yourself if you can have somebody do something really well and, and add to the enhancement and you can focus on maybe doing the fret work sometimes that's good i've learned that the hard way over life you know sometimes when i work on guitars and i've done all the work on the guitars i've tried to inform myself and educate myself train myself to do all the aspects of guitar building and what i learned is i don't really enjoy like painting you know refinish work it's not something i enjoy and so it just becomes work to me and i don't find it fun and because i don't find it fun i i don't really do probably the best job you could possibly do so i outsource that i have somebody in town uh, do the painting and refinish work. So just keep that in mind too. You you can still do a kick guitar yourself, but but bring in somebody to do some parts if you don't you know don't want to do them. Uh, Kenneth says I have a PRS SC SC is in single cut 245 SE SE is the import, and I'm considering getting a tube amp. It looks like the Bass Breaker 15. What pedals will I need for that slash type tone? Um, well, I'm going to say something biased. I would definitely get the Pedal Pal FX uh, uh, Night pedal. 
Where's it at? Hold on a second. It is this one right here. It's the PAL 034 Night Overdrive. Look at that. <laughs> I love this pedal. Uh, and uh, in fact, uh, Ralph took my gold, my pedal pal gold pedal. And uh, he's like, can I use it? Cause I want, he wanted a good Marshall tone. And I said, yeah. And, but I told him he couldn't have this pedal. Cause I, I love this. I like this pedal more than I like that silver Jubilee. <laughs> in fact, it's funny. So, you know, I got this pedal. I liked it so much that I went and bought, this is true. I bought the silver Jubilee. I bought that pedal. Cause I go, well, if the pedals this good, I'll buy the amp. So I bought the amp, got the amp. I love the amp, like the pedal better. That's the pedal I would recommend you get. Um, there's tons of other great recommendations out there, but that's the one I use for the slash tone. So there you, there you go. Let's go to a non-pin question. Let's get some of you guys. There's 830 of us. So let me get to some of you guys out there posting stuff. Um, oh, Martin's got a great question or a great comment. He's saying water-based stains are extremely used. Yeah, you know, stains, I do all my stain work. I don't mind staining stuff. I just hate, you know what it is? It's like, uh, it's painting to me. It's, it's a different, uh, skill set in the idea that I don't like, you know, cleaning the paint guns. There's a lot of cleanup work to painting that I don't enjoy. So, so that, that it's like said, it's beyond just the paint skill set. It's all the, the, the work that comes with that. Okay. Hold on. Yeah, a lot of you guys are talking about paint, uh, staining instead of painting. Ah, it's meow says painting is my hobby. See, uh, that's painting is my wife's hobby too. But Brian said, I hate to clean up too. <laughs> Used to paint RC aircraft paint. Yeah, it, you know, what's so funny is I grew up, uh, grew up building uh, models, you know, uh, really detailed, crazy aircraft models. I grew up next to an air force base. We were the whole town, which is Tucson, Arizona. The whole town lives around the air force base. So like we just built, you know, F 16s and a 10s and F one elevens and B 52s and F four U's, uh, Corsairs, you know, like the war two planes and Vietnam era planes. And we just, and do really detailed airbrushing, take our Pache airbrushes and airbrush everything and just really do that stuff up. And, uh, I used to like it, uh, except for all, I hated all the cleaning and work and craziness. And, and that stuff was, I think still a little easier than, than doing guitar bodies and stuff. So, uh, yeah, see, now see, Superjet 1, and we'll go to the next subject. Superjet 113 says, oh boy, lacquer thinner through the gun a couple times. What a cleanup. He's like, okay, you get the point though, right? I understand what you're saying. It's easy. Uh, what I'm, I, I, get, I get where you're going at. I mean, what I'm saying is I don't enjoy it. <laughs> when you don't enjoy it, it doesn't matter if it's easy or not. It's just it's something you don't want to do. I'd rather be sanding and doing other stuff. It's just, which works out great. Because think of this, my main guy I use for repainting and stuff, he, he doesn't like to work on uh electronics he hates soldering and stuff so it's just how it works so uh hold on i got some questions over on this side now how are we doing on time we're at the end of the hour so we'll kind of button this up uh so the waco of kid official says have you seen the new squire jaguar 
<laughs> Jaguar, Jaguar. Got so much crap for saying Jaguar. Literally, so you know, I asked every everybody I know personally, how do you say Jaguar? Jaguar? We all say Jaguar. I know it's wrong. I don't disagree with anybody who says I'm saying it wrong. I know I'm saying it wrong. I say it the way the people that I live around say it. That's how we all say it. Wrong. Jaguar. <laughs> so is it Jag Jaguar? Jag sounds weird. I can't say it right because here's why. It's uh, This is a, something. I, I don't like it when people, when they're speaking and all of a sudden out of nowhere, they use an accent. You know, it's like pasta bajula. <laughs> right? Like... <laughs> You might as well talk the way you talk. You, you are who you are. If you're saying it so wrong that people don't understand you, you probably need to learn it, right? But let me put it this way. I understand when, when I, when, where I live, people say Saguaro. If you said Saguaro, I know what you meant, <laughs> right? Um, so it, that, so anyways, so the question is, have I seen the new Squire Jaguar? No, but I got over 2,000 likes on that video for the Jazzmaster. So the Jaguar or Jaguar video is, uh, is uh, coming. And don't be shocked. F number six bonus will be the official way you say Jag Jaguar, <laughs> Jaguar, Jaguar. <laughs> so, so bad. So anyways, um, <laughs> what I love right now is picturing the people losing their mind on the Jaguar comment. Yeah. Mayonnaise. Jag. Yes. Brian Stewart says, just say Jag. Sweet. You know, <laughs> Yeah, I don't mind, man. As long as you guys are okay with it, I'm fine. If it really makes you that nuts, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, HK says, oh, so the question Waco Kid wants to know, have I seen it? I have not seen it. Um, uh, I have not tried it either, the new model, but uh, I will obviously uh, be using one in the uh, uh, Five Things video, and it's going to be a Squire because I don't have access to the Fender version. HK says, hey, Phil, ever had an SG with three humbuckers in it? What is it like? Uh, I'm after a white one with gold pickups, etc. Um, no, not a SG with three pickups. I've played uh, Gibson Les Pauls with three pickups, and of course some pure S guitars with three pickups, three humbuckers, and um, I liked them. I've always liked them. It always made sense to me. It's like the Fender Strat having three single coils. It makes sense to have three humbuckers. You get a lot of tone variations uh, with the uh, with the extra two positions. You know the the blend of those those two. Um, I don't know if an SG I've ever tried one. You know what I'd love to have uh, as an SG? I'd like to have an SG with a humbucker and two P90s. That would be a cool guitar. That would be something I could get behind. So, so I haven't tried it, but, uh, from what I've experienced of the guitars I have played, I like those. So if you're thinking about getting one, I think you're on the right path. There's no, there's no downside. The only downside to three humbucker guitars is sometimes they get a little weighty. You know, you're adding another pickup for adding a little weight. I don't think it's a problem. I'm not on an SG. There's no way an SG is going to be crazy heavy. That's what's great about them. Uh, Brownie Man 91 says, looking at an ESP Eclipse, have you ever tried one? Oh, of course. I love the ESP, ESP Eclipse. Now, ESP Eclipse. Hold on. Let me get some water. ESP Eclipse, ESP LTD Eclipse, E2 Eclipse. That's the reason I'm telling you is I like the ESP. I like all of them, but the ESP and the LTDs, I like them the same. I have no problems with them. I just, you said specifically ESP. So I want to make sure you're not mention You're not meaning the LTD. I really like the LT LTD Eclipse. Um, I really like to get one. Uh, the, 
ones I found that I liked were a little pricey at the time. They were like, you know, $900 uh, for the, the white. I wanted the white one with the MGs. But I've played tons of them I'm many, many times over, set them up many times over. Um, all of them have been pretty pretty good. Maybe some of the really inexpensive ones maybe weren't, weren't so exciting. But even those I thought were really good. Very good. I, like I said, I think it's one of the best uh, kind of Les Paul-esque single cut kind of vibe guitars out there. And uh, that's what I think of the LTDs, the ESPs. I've never played an actual ESP Eclipse. I've played a ton of ESP guitars and I've played a lot of LTD Eclipses, but I don't think I've ever physically played the ESP version of Eclipse. I might have once with a used one. And the reason is because I am I know I played a single cut ESP once that came on trade uh, before it sold. I got to play it a little while but I can't remember if they have specifically branded the Eclipse model. It was a single cut ESP though. Uh, Brett said, thanks for your advice, Phil. Should have mentioned that my budget was around $1,000 US. I love the Mark 525, but it's a little pricey. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Uh, but I'm seeing tons of used Archons in my price range. Yeah, you know what's great? The Archon's one of those great amps because here's why, buddy. People just, there's tons of used ones everywhere and they don't hold their value for crap. <laughs> I bought that one for seven, I think and a half. 750 bucks for that. That's my 50 watt head and I refaced it. Uh, the Archon is uh, an amp that just doesn't hold value. Paul Reed Smith um, amps don't hold value because Paul Reed Smith had has made some pretty bad amplifiers in its history. Um, some of those amplifiers were not very good. They didn't sound very good. And that really tainted the idea of amps for them. And then um, the other problem I think is they, they, me personally, I don't think they market their amplifiers correctly. What I mean by that is Doug Sewell is the kind of the brains behind the amps, in my opinion. You know, he's the guy they hired. He's the guy who's making a lot of these, designing a lot of these amps. And I always thought they should really just co-brand that stuff. You know what I mean? It should just be Doug Sewell amps, you know, by PRS instead of PRS amps. And it's because, no, I don't think anyone really attributes Paul Smith, Paul Reed Smith himself as an amp guru. You know, he's the, he's the guitar guru, so to speak. Um, also, uh, they, I think they've done, uh, they didn't do a great job differentiating the new PRS amps from the old ones over time and kind of showing what they've, they've done. The Archon was really their first hit amp. So, you know, that's actually not just my guess. The other stuff is my conjecture and stuff, but this is a, a fact. The PR, the Archon was the first PRS amp that they did well with. It's like, bam, it hit it. And, uh, I personally think they should expand it on the line. Obviously, they did the uh, the the MT15 and stuff. Sinzera Superjet uh, Superjet 113 says Sinzera. Sinzera is great, but it's not the Archon stuff. Sinzera is different platform. It's got a different vibe to it. It's got a lot of great things happening, but it's not the Archon series. The Archon is definitely a the Archon is a high gain amp that has a great clean channel. That's what it is. It's, it's, it's an anomaly in a world where most high gain amps do not have great clean channels. The Archon has this fender clean, chimey, amazing. It's one of my favorite cleans. Every amp guy I've ever met, uh, that's an amp builder that uh, has come over, which has been a few now. Uh, when I show them the Archon, they, they always say, oh yeah, I've never heard it. And they go, yeah, but it's real high gain. And I play a second of it. And then I switch the clean channel and they always say on the clean channel, they go, Wow. They owe every single one of them, not one has not said, wow, that's impressive clean channel because it's really full and dynamic and it sounds really great. So uh, that being said, buddy, uh, definitely if you can get the Archon for the right price, I'd get one. I think you'd be happy with it, especially if you're looking for that high gain. But it, like I said, it, it goes to a Marshall. You back that gain off, you can get that Marshall crunch. Just need a little volume behind it. And the 25 one, one does fantastic.
Okay. Uh, they... All right. Uh, Mars One says, what do you think of Rev Pedals? Uh, funny enough, I got to try Rev Pedal this week. I tried the purple one, and uh, it was okay. Uh, actually, no, I didn't like it. <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm like, uh, you know, you're trying to think about it. You, you know what it was? It was it was probably fine. It sounded, you know, like a high-gain pedal should sound. It was okay. Um, you know, it, it was okay. The the problem I think is I think high gain pedals are really tough to pull off. You know what I mean? They get really fizzy and stuff. And there's a few that have done it really, really well, and some have done it really good. The red pedal was okay. I would imagine, I don't know, the purple one came second, right? The red one was first. Was that correct or is it vice versa? Um I, I don't know. So it was okay. So that's my answer. It was it was okay. I didn't like it. I obviously where is what I'm saying, I didn't like it. it. Was it was for sale, it was used, and uh I didn't buy it. Uh so you know, and I was looking for one. So I tried it and I was like, nah, nah, pass. Uh, Arthur says, how do I feel about Dr. Z amps? I have the maze 38 and I like it a lot. Uh, but the Dr. Z amps are an amp that as much as I like mine and I'm playing it a lot lately, it's definitely an amp that I would really tell most people that you really want to put your hands on it because I don't know if it's going to do what you think it's going to do. To me, it has a very cool thing that it does or sound, a crunch to it. Very Vox, the maze, very Vox, very cool. But, uh, you know, like I said, it's a, to me, that amp's a one-trick pony, but that trick is awesome. It's, it sounds like light crunch rock blues amp. So, okay. Ah, Daryl says he has the Rev G3 and he loves it. Is that the purple one or is that the red one? How do I know which one's which? Brian says he bought the purple rev and didn't like it either. Overhyped. Yeah. It's overhyped is a good example. You know, I think that's my problem with it. You know, to be honest with you, when I, when we plugged into it and checked it out, you know, here I am. It's like, it's going to be the greatest high gain distortion pedal. Me personally in the, my first reaction to it was I thought the BE 100 was better or B, you know, the BE pedal. I thought the 5150 MXR pedal was better. Uh, I thought, uh, Oh, and I definitely thought the Andy Timmons pedal was way better. There, so I was like, uh, of those four pedals, the rev G three, the rev, whatever the purple one's called the rev, the B, the, uh, B pedal, the 5150 by MXR and the uh, Andy Timmons pedal. I like the Andy Timmons the best. And then, uh, and then the other three, um, I like the, I like the 5150 pedal having a noise gate in it for that kind of crazy fizzy kind of distortion, cool sound with the noise gate built in. It's cool. And, um, and the B, but I don't know. I think the Andy Timmons just wins over time for me. It just kind of, it was, I liked it when I got it and I liked it more now. So, okay. Uh, let's make sure I don't have a pen question and then I got something to share with you guys and then we'll, we'll give it. And we'll call it a day. Uh, Arthur says, Philip, just I've got a new perfectly set up guitar with Godo 1996 T tremolo. When I use the bar on one side of the tune, on one side of the tuning is slightly off, but then I <laughs> slightly push it in the opposite way and the tuning returns to bit. Yes. Okay, great. Uh, so basically what he's telling us, guys, I think he's from. Is RUB, he's got, he gave us, he gave me 350 RUBs. Is that rubles? Is that what I'm 
So I'm guessing, I'm guessing. Anyways, my, the answer to your question is, uh, you're nut. There's something wrong with, uh, the nut. See, I just don't know if, hold on a second. We have a minute so we don't mess up this, this question. Let's do this. What I need to see real fast is the bridge. So here's the thing. You got to have a locking nut. I'm assuming you have a locking nut. If you have a locking nut, it sounds like your bridge posts are not letting the bridge return to the exact position. That sounds like the problem. If you do not have a locking nut, I think you have uh, problems with the nut uh, where the grooves and the nut, the cut, the slots are not cut perfectly and it's not allowing the strings to return to the exact position again, letting the bridge go to the exact position. So somewhere in there, something is uh, creating a friction, a problem, a sticking point. So if you don't have a locking nut, you need to replace or fix the nut. That's going to be the issue. Problem solved. If you do have a locking nut, I would say you may need to replace those posts. Uh, something to think about is, and again, I'm doing that uh, without looking at it, but I'm, I'm guessing that's what it goes. I'm guessing that's what it is. Not hearing, I'm look. I'm reading your question real quick just to make sure there's no other information. But to hear that it's slightly out of tune and you push on, it goes back into tune. It sounds like it's not returning to the right position. Definitely sounds like something is either sticking around the nut or something is sticking on the posts. There you go. Raymond said, just saying hi, got here late. Hi, Raymond. How are you? John says, just joined the stream. So not sure if they already answered this, but are you going to get any new Gibsons? Uh, I, I, I was thinking about looking at buying one of the new Gibsons because, you know, we all have a sickness and that's, um, but that's the only, you know, other than, and I tried, I looked around town to see if there was any to check out. There wasn't, um, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm looking at checking them out. I don't have any, you know, I don't have any relationships with those guys. Although, you know, uh, Tallman, the Tallman gearhead university is coming and Gibson's supposed to be there, but who knows? I don't know. Uh, I, I think I'm going to have a lot of stuff scheduled uh, for that. So I don't know if Gibson's going to be able to work out. Um, let's see. And then Deshaun says, bought a Mesa Rev uh, Overb. Okay. Rev okay. Should I buy an Epiphone Lucille or a Tele Nashville Deluxe or a lower priced Les Paul? Uh, I want to play stuff like The Cure, Lush, The Smiths, and Soundgarden. I have $1,500 to spend. Oh man, these questions, that's, you know, it's funny. That's a fun question, but it always like, it's tough to recommend stuff. I, you know, what's funny is, or a lower price, less Paul. Well, you're saying you got $1,500, $1,500. You can buy a legitimate use less Paul. I, here's, here's the, I'll give the answer in this easy way. I love the Tele, Na, the Deli Nashville Deluxe. That's a great guitar. I think if you get that guitar, you'll be very happy. I think you'd be really, really good with it. Uh, the Epiphone Lucille is another fantastic guitar. I've had a great experiences playing that guitar. Me personally, as much as I like the guitar, I'm more inclined to play a Tele over the hollow body style guitar. That's just how it works. I like the Tele better. So if it was me, I'd go Tele. But of the three guitars, I would definitely buy a Use Les Paul. Be 
before I would buy those other two guitars because I'll use less Paul is, uh, you know, if you have the $1,500 to expend, think about this way, that $1,500, you, you buy a less Paul at that, you'll always have that $1,500 for the most part. That less Paul will hold value for a long time. And it's a good guitar, especially if you can find one. Uh, I saw Rob Chapman selling his less Paul and I think it was like $1,300 US. I almost wanted to buy it. <laughs> I thought it was a good deal. Even if you had in shipping. Deshaun, maybe you should go check out <laughs> Rob Chapman's uh, Instagram and see if he's still selling that Les Paul. That's a good guitar to buy for that price. So Jethro says, hey, Phil, just, just picked up a used 2015 Les Paul. Ah, double cut. Ah, double cut. With DiMaggio P90 Super Distortions. Any P90 replacement recommendations? Uh, you don't like the DiMaggio P90s? So uh, I like the Lawler P90s. Something that those are really 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 nice um but i like the ones that are in your guitar as well too i've liked those in the past as well but i think the lawler's got more of a p90 kind of vibe to them okay uh that all being said what else do we got going on before we we're on the we're on the last little bit of this um Okay, Jason, uh, Jason, just because Jason Bova says, hey, Phil, my tube head makes a popping sound when I'm switching channels, uh, mainly gain channels, uh, PV triple X 120 watt. Is that normal? Jason, take it. What I want you to do is a test for me. What I want you to do is switch to, let's say, your gain channel, then switch from the gain channel to the clean channel and notice if it makes a popping sound. Then when you go to clean channel, the gain channel, notice that it makes a popping sound. So you said it makes a popping sound while switching channels, mainly gain channels. But really what I want to know is, uh, is where exactly is it popping? My guess is it's only popping in one direction, right? So just this is my experience with this, is that you're switching from one channel and... Uh, let's say, like I said, on an amp, let's say you have three channels, you're no pop, then it pops. Then it seems like it's popping a third, but it's really only popping when going back. What I'm saying is I think you're, if you look at it, I bet you it's only popping in one spot. Then once you figured out that that's what's happening, if I'm right, and it's only popping in one spot, in other words, it's only popping, let's say, to you, in your mind, it's popping between two gain channels, but really that would be only one way, right? So it's that channel pops that channel and pops the way back because the other channel is fine. Once you know that, my guess is go uh, contact PV, tell them the situation and ask them if they have a workaround on that. A lot of time manufacturers manufacture amplifiers and they use relays and those relays um, are too close to the tube sockets or something inside the amplifier. And what's happening is when the relay clicks, the tube or something next to the relay is microphonically picking up that popping sound. There's sometimes you're lucky and it's just the tube that's by the relay. That's why I'm saying what we're trying to do when I say pay attention where it's at, we're trying to find where that relay could be in the amp. And, and if we know what channel it is, we can then look at a schematic and say, okay, here's where the relay is. You know, it's between those two channels. Then what's next to that relay that's amplifying that popping sound. And then maybe changing the preamp tube will fix the problem. Sometimes we're lucky because the, the, maybe the tube's got a microphonic issue and it's just really picking that up. And uh, I have a, a video on that. You know, you can test it with a stick, the tube, and that maybe solve the problem before you have to do anything else. Just check the tubes. The other thing uh, you can do, if it's not the tube, then it's maybe a, an issue with the amp. And a lot of times manufacturers create a workaround. In other words, they know they make a jumper 
that helps jump around the problem or fix the problem. And so if you take it to a, a, a licensed warranty center, even if the amp's not under warranty, they have the fix and the, and the they have the part, they can get the part from PV that fixes it and it'll make it less expensive. And it's uh so basically it's not normal for your amp to do that. It's wait, it's not, it's not right that your amp does it. Is it normal? It happens. It happens on all kinds of amps. Tube amps are, let's just say, not a perfect thing. <laughs> so there you go. So try those and see if any of those issues help. And then let me know. Let me see if it if, if that helps. Um. Okay. So uh, Keith is saying shielding will help too. That's true too. I mean, all that stuff helps, but uh, uh, shielding would be a again. That's uh, in my opinion, that's going to be a further down the problem fix. So uh, on the amp. Unless you're talking about shielding the guitar, then that, that could help too, but I don't think it will help with the popping sound. Okay. So on that note, what else do we got going on? Um, that's it. I got my whole list. I meant we got all the questions. Make sure I didn't miss any of the super chat ones. And then we'll grab one more of the non-super chat ones real quick. And... Oh my goodness. <laughs> Let's see. And then Lawrence is saying PV uses a mute circuit on the triple X. So it may be something else. Ah, see, there you go. So like I said, um, I would definitely, definitely start first with tapping. Like I said, you could watch the video on how to test your tubes with a stick Try to see if there's a microphonic tube in there. See if that might be the, the, that's the fastest, easiest fix there is that you can do that's easy. And you know what I mean? You don't have to take the amp apart. You don't have to hurt yourself and you don't have to spend any money uh, other than if you need a new preamp tube, something like that. Because uh, my, my go-to is always whenever there's an amp tube amp with an issue, whatever the issue is, let's assume the tubes are causing the problem first, since those are the easiest things to take, you know, right. It's like a car align alignment, right? You can't align a car if one of the tires are flat. So you got to, first thing you gotta do is make sure your tires are aired up and your tires are right. Then you can align your car. Same logic with your amp. Before we start taking any apart, before you start doing anything, trying to figure out what's going on with the amp, let's make sure all the tubes are working the way they're supposed to be. Cause they, they're, if they're not, it won't matter if the amp's working right or not. So, and then Lawrence saying V1 might be the microphonic one. Oh, perfect. So if you know it's V1, then go ahead and just, you can look it up on a schematic and test the V1. So the other thing you can do, if you don't, uh, if you're tapping on the tubes, like I said, use that video I referenced for tapping for testing. Uh, another trick that's great for tube preamp tubes for just for preamp tubes is checking them is when the amp's cold <laughs> and unplug it for safety purposes, you can swap preamp tubes uh, so if you have a 12x7 in one spot another just go ahead and swap them and and you know right you swap them to see if the problem changes sometimes the popping now will switch to another area or the issue switch moves around sometimes the problem follows the tube it's a nice little trick that help that works a lot of times when you're moving stuff around okay curtis pia says in case in the case of staggered versus flat pole pickups why does it matter that the pickups have to go to a guitar with the right radius. Thanks. Okay. So in the idea, okay, so what he's talking about is he's talking about uh, 
pickups, guitar pickups, mostly single coils, of course, that will have staggered slugs. In other words, you know, the, the pole pieces stick out in different angles, different angles, what I'm talking about, different heights, and versus flat where they're all the same, the same height. Um, so the question is, why is it important that the pole pieces be correct to the radius of the fretboard? Um, the staggered pole pieces, in my opinion, became because I really think about this. Most pickups, it's not even a thing. Humbuckers, you don't see it. P90s, you don't see it. It's really more of a fender thing than anything else. But single coils, of course, are copied after all the fender pickups, so therefore they they follow this. Fenders originally they would have this seven a quarter inch radius fretboard, really rounded fretboard, and so they made the poles rounded because the center, the G and the D string, were so much higher off, you know, I mean, uh, higher, further away from the pickup than, than, let's say the two E strings and the B and the A string, because of the fact that, you know, the radius of the fretboard, they would radius the bridge rounded like the fretboard. Uh, so that's why they did the pickups that way. In my personal tr trials, I've never experienced that the height of those things mattered in any way, shape or form. Um, I would imagine it would be an extreme thing. In other words, if your radius was extreme and the heights on those strings were extremely higher than the other ones, but usually even on a seven quarter radius fretboard, uh, I try to make my action as low as I could possibly without any buzzing. And in that case, we're talking about minimal amounts of difference in height between the D and the G versus the two E's. So I don't have a problem with that. So, um, I, you know, I'd be curious again, this is one of those things where, let's see, hold on. I guess what I'm gonna say, I'm reading some comments right now, see what people are saying. Somebody was saying string, uh, Ken saying it's string magnetic strength. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, but you know, it's not as, it's not as a sensitive system as you might think it is. You know what I mean? The, the pickup can hear a lot. It can detect a lot of what's going on in the field. That's why we can have different amounts of action. And so an argument, I can argue everything every different way. If I say, hey, look, it's important that the, the radius of the pickup uh, slugs be the same as the radius of the fretboard, um, I guess. But what if I like really high action? Do I need to raise all the, the slugs up? to adjust to that too. So again, I don't think it's as big a deal. I think it's just something they did and we just continue to do it. I think that's true with a lot of stuff. We, we did it then and we continue to do it. There's no downside to doing it and why not do it? So, all right. On that note, I think that was good. I think we did a good job. Uh, hour and 25 minutes. We got a lot of QA. We got a lot of announcements out. And uh, so before we go, I just want to do a quick shout out to the the patrons uh let's see <laughs> let me get to that page try not to butcher any names that's my goal every week and uh sometimes i get I do better than others before we go i'd like to say thank you to the live support crew and that's jeff house zachary rowe michael newman bruce and the saltwater whiskey band hannah gunson john jex michael shy justin mabe david madison passy uh pukinian uh alizadar alizadar mcleod McLeod, McLeod, man, Alizar, I owe you a, something. I owe you a, a drink. <laughs> Andy Dennis, Anthony Desposito, Bob Crosley, Bob Pickwode, Brian Quackenbush, Brian Stewart, Bruce Collins, Chuck Keen, Chief Squatch, Chris at the Guitar Pit, Chris from New Mexico, Craig Parker, Dave R. Guitars, Dennis Prescott, Derek Miller, Aaron Kimmaker, 
Gary Phillips, Gene Graham, Greg Peterson, James Biles, John Russell, Jonathan Pickering, Joseph McCarthy, Kermit Jackson, Larry Colklin, Lawrence Petros, Lonnie Hoke, Michael Lidner, Michael Mooney, Muse guitarist, Paul Astrike, Louis and Elvero from Pedal Pal FX, Sam Orham, Steve Hogan, Tim Camacho, Tim Farnsworth, Todd Flowers, and Zesty Basil Pizza. They make this channel happen every week on this live show. The rest of the patrons also help everything else I do on all the other videos. And of course, you guys watching, subscribing, licking, uh, liking, licking, licking the channel is always good. Liking the channels and also, uh, like I said, make sure that bell notification thing's pushed uh, is always helpful. As always, thank you guys so much. I will see you guys next Friday and uh, look forward to the videos coming this week. And until next time, go your gear. <laughs>